What's going on, guys? If this is your first time tuning into Living Real Driven, welcome. I'm your host, Nick Updike, and I started this podcast to really help you guys push your comfort zone, get uncomfortable, and evolve mentally, physically, spiritually, and most importantly, embrace that badass version of yourself that you're meant to be, whether you believe it or not. I'm going to get you to believe it. So get ready to hear from experts in different industries as well as people that are just like you and me that are pursuing their passions to the fullest and taking that necessary massive action regardless of all the challenges and adversities and punches in the face that they're going to experience on their journey. I'm going to show you guys that living an impactful life filled with purpose is possible. You don't have to settle for that 9 to 5 average life if you're willing to work your ass off and make the necessary sacrifices. No more freaking excuses. If you're ready to dominate life and become the person you're destined to be, get your notes out and let's begin living a real driven life today. What's up, guys? Welcome to Living Real Driven. I'm your host, Nick Updike, and today I have my man, Mike Murphy, joining me on the show. Mike is a serial entrepreneur, having started five successful businesses, and is the CEO of the Murphy Auto Group. Through these companies, Mike's been able to generate a very impressive yearly sales revenue of half a billion dollars. So with that being said, it's an honor to have you on the show today, Mike, and I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to you know, do this with me. Absolutely, Nick. I appreciate it. You know, I look forward to having conversations like this. I believe that iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. So getting to uh, talk on your podcast, share some of my expertise. I'm also looking forward to learning a lot from you here today. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, if I can teach you anything, I'll be very happy. So one thing I want you to do uh, to get started, for those who don't know, you have a pretty amazing story coming from humble beginnings and then being thrown into a really big leadership position at an early age. So would you just dive into a little bit of your background story and you know how you got into entrepreneurship in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm second generation in the automotive business, but it really starts with the third generation. My grandpa, born during the Great Depression, uh, lived paycheck to paycheck, couldn't read or write. And my dad was born into a very humble household in, in Miami that is like the average person in America still today. So we're the American dream. We're alive and well. We escaped poverty originally out of high school. My dad, born in 1949, was lucky enough to go in the 1967 draft to the L.A. Dodgers. Now, getting drafted out of high school and foregoing his college education, he kind of put all his chips in to uh, baseball. Now, he got hurt, and when baseball uh, ended, he decided to go to work for his brother selling cars until he figured out what he wanted to do. So he started about 23 years old selling cars, ran through all the spots in the dealership, worked every single job on the sales side, and then was lucky enough to partner at the age of 30 with his first dealership, which was Newport Lincoln Mercury. We acquired Newport Lincoln Mercury in 1979, and we ended up selling that back to Ford Motor Company in 2011 uh, after the Great Recession. I started in the business after getting hurt playing baseball, trying to chase my father's dreams of baseball, uh, washing cars. So as my dad did every job in the dealership on the sales side, he wanted to expose me to everything, including parts, service, detail, et cetera. So I'm the byproduct of hard work, dedication, and just perseverance through all the roles. Starting off washing cars for two years was a great education. Most people haze me and try to get me to quit. <laughs> Once they realized that wasn't going to happen, I guess they assumed that I was a lifer. And I moved on from detail 
I turned 16 years old and started driving the parts truck, dropping off parts and body shop, bumpers, stuff like that to local independent shops. From there, I moved into parts. Um, then for some of us that are old enough to remember the Firestone recall in 99, I became a line tech doing uh, uh, oil changes, tire rotations, alignment, stuff like that. Got promoted to service rider. And then after service riding, I turned 18 years old and was able to start selling cars. Um, sold cars, uh, went to college, committed to the U, uh, finished my education at FAU. And while I was there, I was a used car director uh, over our dealership. At that point, we had two dealerships. Um, we had Newport Lincoln Mercury and Toyota of Winter Haven. In the spring, summer, May to be exact, of 2008, my dad got diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which is bone marrow cancer. And although I knew I was going to be a car guy and I chose the car business, it didn't chose me. I really was enjoying my 20s, running around <laughs> South Beach, making life choices that probably I would uh, do all, almost all of it the same way. Is that at UM? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, between Collins and Ocean, you can have a lot of fun. Um, I worked a couple days a week at one of the auctions, supplying cars for our stores and also wholesaling our aged used cars. Now, in the car business, if a car doesn't sell in 60 days on the used car lot, we turn it into cash and we wholesale it. Um, but I was just living my life. I was enjoying it. Um, but then, you know, I th- kind of think God, the universe had another plan for me. I like to think of it as God. Um, with dad getting sick, I took that as a personal opportunity to step up and play big and ended up moving back home. My fraternity brothers packed my uh, house up for me in a pod and mailed it to me. And uh, they gave him three years to live. So I had to learn everything that he was doing in 36 months because month 37 wasn't guaranteed. Luckily enough, he's still with us. And uh, he works one or two days a month, although he's fully retired in a coaching support role. He's here at headquarters today coaching some of our guys. So, you know, praise God that he's still with us 11, 12 years later. Um, But Pressure can do one of two things. Pressure can bust pipes or pressure can make diamonds. So I leaned in, committed fully, opened a internet department. Uh, we were one of the last to really understand how to sell cars online. That created a competitive advantage for us. Being 22 years old, uh, I understood not only email, internet advertising, but also little things called like chat or DMs or social media management, which is so vitally important to entrepreneurs nowadays. You can be whatever you want online. And you could have a $5 million headquarters or a $5,000 headquarters. You should get the same exposure online. And we leveraged that. And as we accomplished that, I moved into a general sales manager position. Uh, And then a month before I turned 24, at the uh, old age of 23, I became one of, if not the youngest general manager in the United States, running Toyota of Winter Haven. And I had a really good team. I was young, inexperienced, but I knew the basics really well because it was taught to me by my father. Imagine living with your boss and every breakfast and every dinner you have, you're perfecting your trait, you're understanding the why, people are communicating the five P's about how people uh, processes productivity, the promise we make to each other equals profits. Um, And then we were able to expand. We now have 13 companies in total, five franchise dealerships. Um, I could bore you with the other eight companies, but we (laughs) have ourselves a very nice 19 and because of the people we've surrounded ourselves with, we expect an even better 2020. So that's who I am and kind of how I got to uh, this point. Boom. Man, that was a lot. I love that story, though. That's yeah, thank you. Impressive. Um, so obviously, your dad was a huge mentor in your life. But 
did you have any other major mentors or coaches that helped guide you through this? Like, I'm sure it was pretty tumultuous. There's a lot of turmoil going on, just being thrown into a position like that at first, um, a little unexpectedly. So did anyone help you kind of guide, guide you through that? Yeah. If you include my dad, there's five, but there's four other people that had a huge impact. And one of the first piece of advice I give to anyone that wants it is find somebody better than you and learn from them. Mentors are so important and we can divide our mentors or what I call coaches into different phases of life. So um, my godfather is a retired um, member of the Naval Special Warfare community. Most of what he did is still classified. So I don't want to talk about it on a <laughs> on a live mic like this. All good. Um, but he taught me a lot about perseverance, front sight focus, embracing the suck, the concept that the only easy day was yesterday, stuff you learn in, in the, that naval special warfare community. Um, so Ernie Vatterson has a lot to do with it. Ernie, after he got out of the military, he was the CEO of a company called Snake Eyes, which built golf clubs for a long, long time. Uh, after that, it comes down to three people. I had a CEO coach for eight years, uh, Chris Ruisi. Uh, he passed away a couple months ago, uh, too young, too early. Chris was the COO president of U.S. Life and sold U.S. Life for $4.3 billion uh, with a B. Gee. And he taught me how to be a professional, kind of with a Wall Street mentality, how to go for the jugular, uh, run up the scoreboard, but have excellence in everything I do and think like those on Wall Street where good is never good enough and establishing the new normals. At Murphy Auto Group, we have a hashtag TNN for the new normal. We don't celebrate wins. We establish new normals. Uh, after that, Commander Mark Devine, uh, operator SEAL Team 3. He's got um, an Unbeatable Mind Institute that I graduated from. His book, The Way of the Seal and the Unbeatable Mind, will teach you a ton about morning rituals, evening rituals, how to be physically, mentally, and spiritually sound in battle. And I use the word battle because I believe that's what business is. It's all fair in love and war, but you really should be love and war in business because in the world we live in, it's cutthroat. People will leave you for a dollar. A customer will go buy a car somewhere else for $100 less. So we have to uh, aim small, miss small. And if we're going to kick open a door, we got to figure out who kills us first and eliminate those threats. And that's what Commander Divine taught me, along with box breathing, meditation, stuff like that. Um, I just wrote an article for Yahoo Finance all about my morning ritual that'll be coming out in a couple of weeks. Really? I'm curious what, what's in it. I have my morning ritual right right on this whiteboard next to me. Yeah, if you want to go there. I know it's a little off topic, but it's valuable. I have 10 simple steps to my morning ritual. Um, it starts off when I wake up in the morning. I hit snooze on my alarm for five minutes just in case I fall asleep. But really? step one is what I call the gratitude exercise. And you just spend five minutes being taking account or taking an inventory of all the things you're grateful for. It could be the fact dad's still with us and he's in remission and coaching up my COO right now. It could be the birth of my child that turned three months old yesterday. Awesome. It could be my beautiful Colombian wife um, and her hunger and desire with that immigrant mentality for bigger and better things. It could just be my health or opportunities like this to share my life story and impact others. And we're two generations away from poverty. So there's so much to be grateful for that first step starts your day off. Right. Then, um, you know, step two is then I, I lay on the floor and I go through what's called muscle activation therapy as a baseball player and golfer. I've, I've utterly destroyed my body. So through isometric holds, I, I uh, kind of realign everything. And there's a belief that most injuries occur from a muscle group being turned off 
and other muscles picking up the slack of those muscles, straining, wearing, and then tearing. I've had five shoulder surgeries between the two. Oh, That's what I did my athletic career. Uh, rotator cuff, labrum, bicep tendon on the left side twice. Uh, labrum on the right side twice. Um, That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. A lot of band work, brother. I don't care to ever see a rubber band. I have like PTSD to rubber bands. Um, so yeah, step three then is interesting. Step three is the first round of planning out your day. Now, I don't mean with a piece of paper. I still mean on a yoga mat laying flat on the ground. Think about the stuff you have to get done today, what's important to you. Then after that, um, step four is what we call box breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, step four with box breathing, uh, Commander Divine has a theory called still waters run deep. And you picture yourself on the bottom of a pond. And as you meditate, any ideas, thoughts, concerns, for me, most of it is concerns for the day as they pop up into your conscious, you just visualize them in a bubble and you let them float to the surface. Mm. That kind of balances the mind. It calms the nerves and eliminates your fear. Um, A lot of guys in the Naval Special Warfare community, retired operators would say that the SEALs are so accurate in combat when people are shooting back at you, they're even more accurate than they are on a range because of breathing. When you start hyperventilating, you're shaking, nothing goes right. Proper breathing leads to proper thoughts, which leads to proper execution. Um, Step five then is that planning out your day round two, where you're trying to think of anything you forgot the first round. Um, Round six for me is uh, then prayer and, and a daily devotional. Uh, I use the Bible app on my phone. Um, I've got other employees that use their their book of faith, their faith book. Um, there's many different apps out there. Uh, agnostics think about, I guess, in step six, if there's a God and atheists can just move right, on right. to step seven. Um, it's my little joke there. Uh, step seven is really easy. I take a shower. So now I'm getting clean. Um, but I think you like to think of a shower as not only cleaning the body, but as you come out fresh and clean and, and free of germs, you're also kind of cleaning your spirit to get ready for the day ahead. Um, step eight is three simple yoga warrior poses that Commander Divine teaches in his uh, Seal Fit Academy. Um, I'm not in good enough shape to do all of them, so I do number one, two, and four, which is just about strengthening your core, getting the blood flowing. And at this point, when you get to step eight, you do not need a cup of coffee. You are awake, you're oh, ready, yeah. you're focused, and you are as. Um, as uh, Chris Kyle said, you feel dangerous. <laughs> step nine is when you get is get to work and plan out your day with your piece of paper. For entrepreneurs out there that don't have an assistant, you should still do this exercise. Step nine for me, as I do it with my uh, associate, uh, Lorenzo, we plan out our day into 15-minute blocks. And uh, if you ever have me back, we'll talk about time management and I'll have some visuals for you. Um, I like to spend 85% of my, t- my day on proactive productive items. So items that I choose proactive, stuff that's productive that helps me do one of three things, increase revenue, decrease expense, or improve customer experience. And then step 10 that I think most people forget is I go around and I just say good morning to all my direct reports. If you're going to get a surprise, get it early in the morning, you're fresh, you're less emotional, you can take bad news a little bit better. Most managers blow up on somebody when they get a surprise bad news at the end of the day, never really in the beginning of the day. Right. Um, So I repeat those 10 steps every day. Uh, I'm human. So maybe 80% of my days during the year, do I do it? 
you might think twice staying at a Best Western laying on the floor with your yoga mat as you see something crawl by you. Not at all, man. It's actually scary how similar my routine is. I've started incorporating that last semester or like six months ago for me. Mm-hmm. Wake up, drink a tall glass of water, go into my gratitude, like you said, get your mind right, get to, you know, just get you feeling good. And I really focus on like feeling those emotions. And then I go into like 10 minutes of journaling and then I meditate. And my meditation is usually consists of either visualization and like really like feeling how I want to in the future, like my best self or whatever I journaled about. Or it's just like kind of what you're saying about what you say, um, being at the bottom of the river and letting your thoughts float up. So I, or I do that. And then I go into stretching on the ground and Wim Hof breathing. So it's like, it's pretty similar to yours. And then a cold shower and I'm, I'm good. And I'm like, like you said, like I'm energized. I'm ready to take on the day, whatever's being thrown at me. No need for caffeine after that. And yeah, man, it's been a game changer, big time. Uh, a couple of things on the meditation side that's pretty cool. So Commander Mark Divine in, in The Way of the Seal, not only does he talk about a lot of cool things about how to be front sight focused um, and morning routines, but when he gets to meditation, uh, it's really cool. He, he advises you to build a mental dojo. Mm. So in your mind, you create a, a place that you go to and you need to describe it in extreme details. So for me... It's right behind the green on number 12 at Augusta National up in the azalea bushes. And it's an old Japanese style dojo. You're even supposed to create a sentinel guard that protects you while you're inside it of negative thoughts. And if you get a chance to read The Way of the Seal, that's a great book. There was one more person in those four people that influenced my life I didn't get to talk about. Uh, and that's Chris Collins. Chris Collins is a riot. This guy um, has a great YouTube channel, podcasts. And uh, his concept is how to coach, train, and motivate millennials through a concept he created called gamification that uh, I just preach about because uh, I guess I'm a disciple of Chris. Don't tell him that (laughs) Um, or he'll trademark it on me. But he's a very, very, very talented guy and somebody that you would um, love to have on your podcast someday. Yeah, man. We're definitely going to dive into gamification. We obviously got, got a tad off topic there. Um, I have to ask you this though. Like, have you studied Jocko Willink or like David Goggins? Cause you keep doing uh, seal references, like extreme ownerships, a book I've read can't hurt me by David Goggins. And yeah. your mindset is like so powerful. I don't want to go down that tangent. I was just wondering if you've read sure. books. Or- um, let's talk about that. So, uh, Jocko and Leaf's book, extreme ownership is fantastic. Um, I guess I got the book a little bit later than everyone else. Um, Leaf's wife who used to be on Fox news. She had a show at like 3 PM and had them on as guests. And I was in a waiting room at an air or, you know what? I was at an airport sky lounge and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. A couple of operators. And I bet we know the same people. And they started talking about their book. Extreme ownership is one of the top five books, uh, that I could recommend for somebody to read, to become a better person. Um, there's two big takeaways from extreme, extreme ownership that I think um, affected me a lot positively. First is, uh, there's no such thing as bad teams. There's only bad what? Leaders. Amen. And the example they use in buds is just dope. It, it, it's gotten to the point where I've taken the best leader of my best dealership, moved him to my worst dealership. And then next thing you know, you, what used to be the worst and your best are battling in and out for first place. I love that. Um, and then the second thing is chapter 10 is pushing information up the chain of command. Most entrepreneurs that are aspiring are probably working for someone else 
and they feel managed. And if you remember, Leaf gets all pissed off and he's like, why does, you know, the superiors second guess everything I do in Tampa? They're in Tampa. I'm in Ramadi. Surely I know what's going on better than they do. And then Jocko in his infinite wisdom says something along the lines, of, well, maybe we're just not communicating up the chain of command correctly. Um, so train the trainers. I, I've used that to have my direct reports, my chief strategy, my chief finance, my chief operations officer, tell me how best to manage them. So communication is a two-way street. Just because somebody signs your check doesn't mean that you're not supposed to manage them as much as they manage you. So yeah, Jocko and Leaf are, are badasses. I've, I've spent a little bit of time on the phone with them in some some calls. Um, their company's called Echelon Front. Mm-hmm. And some musters that are absolutely incredible. Um, I just felt like with my godfather, with Commander Divine, um, and the Bill Bryan, um, excuse me, with the Brian Bill Foundation that I team up with, I've got uh, enough SEAL references for a lot of yeah, I was like, have you read the book? And you're like, oh, that's my Bible. <laughs> like, you you know the book. You're referring to chapters and everything. That's crazy. Yeah. Awesome, though. And it's cool because they're just a younger generation of Commander Divine. So Commander Divine, you know, was in the 90s mostly. was reserves in the early 2000s. Um, Jocko and Leaf, I mean, these guys were Task Force Bruiser, right? They led the, the Battle of Ramadi where um, – we did a very good job of occupy and hold, occupy and hold, and um, gave freedom back to hundreds of thousands of people. And what did they lose? I know we had about a dozen ca- um, um, injuries, but I think we only lost three. It seasons. wasn't much at all. Yeah. One was but, just a lucky um, shot. Going back to mentorship, so for all the young guys listening out here who you know maybe they're in the beginning stages of entrepreneurship or they want to get into it and they don't have – a personal mentor, maybe they're listening to podcasts and they're learning through books and audio. How would you recommend going about, you know, finding someone that you can personally talk to? Because it's a lot different having someone where if you're in like a, a jam or like you need to like actually talk to someone, you can call them up or send them a text, uh, you know, instead of like just listening to like an audio. I'm yeah, sure how do you go about finding someone like that? Absolutely. The search for a mentor is um, something I'd first off recommend praying about. And sometimes they'll come to you as much as you come to them. Mm. Chris Arisi found me. I didn't find him. Um, As a guy that sold his company for $4.3 billion, he um, only worked with 12 students and he picked them. You didn't pick uh, him. So with the exception of those, uh, I think young mentors need to start off or young entrepreneurs need to start off when they're looking for a mentor with clearly defining what they're looking for. So as an entrepreneur, we know we want to make money. We know we don't want to work for others. But the clearer we have a vision of our business model and what we're looking for in a mentor, will the universe or, or our creator provide it for us? In addition to that, there's great uh, avenues on social media. We have podcasts like yours. Uh, social X is pretty impressive. I've liked oh, yeah. what I've learned from them. Um, and you can always follow me at The Real Mike Murphy as I give entrepreneur and leadership skills. The nice thing about somebody like me with less than, I don't know, I think I got 120,000 followers or something like that is if you DM me, I can usually answer it the same day and, and give some free advice. The big thing about mentorship in, in my mind is you have to be relatable. Common interest, commonality, being local. Uh, it's very, very um, important that you can look people in the eyes and do this thing called life together. I think life is meant to be done together. That's why we're not all in our cave somewhere. Um, we're in cities, right? 
I think the other way to really find a mentor, and I know this might sound a little bit cheesy, but once you clearly define what you want to do, go to work for the competition and find somebody there to teach you what they know. Um, I'll give you a hint and a little, little secret sauce here. Old people love to talk about themselves and what they've accomplished. So if you, if you want to start an advertising agency, go to work for an advertising agency, some, find somebody that's been there for 30 years, ask them about their life story, an hour and a half later, they will tell you everything they did right and everything they did wrong, remember what they did right, throw out what they did wrong, and then rinse and repeat. Right on, right on. I mean, that's why I hired a business coach because they do the same thing. You know, you can learn from 10, 20, 30 years of experience without having to, you know, make all of the same mistakes. Obviously, you're going to mess up a lot and learn, but it helps a lot learning from someone with experience. But let's move on to gamification because I, we can talk about this forever. Um, so for those who don't know what gamification is, would you just give a, like a simple explanation of what it is and maybe how you've incorporated it into your business? Yeah. So, um, the best way to explain gamification is to kind of paraphrase, uh, Chris Collins YouTube video where he introduces it. So he's got three bulldogs and he, he starts off the video with, um, did you know that 85% of people hate their jobs? They ask, do you like dislike strongly dislike or hate your job? 17 out of 20 people said they hate their jobs. And that's, that's amazing to me. What it makes sense, the population is 3% entrepreneurs and 97% of society works for that 3% and includes small businesses. Right. Um, so if 85% of people hate their jobs, we could be really successful as a company, um, predominantly in sales where we have a lot of sales staff, if just one out of two people hated their job. Interesting enough, four out of five or 80% of millennials identify as gamers meaning they have played a video game on their tablet, phone, console, whatever, in the last 48 hours. So Chris kind of took those two concepts and mashed them together, where if you create games worth playing, where the desired outcome helps you achieve a strategic initiative and back into a game, then you have um, a formula to change your culture. So for me, it was trying to sell cars. What we did is we sit there, and, and an example of gamification is, we take our 20 salespeople, as an example, put them on two teams of 10, and every time they sell a car, they get one throw of a beanbag. Now we play cornhole with the traditional cornhole rules and boards, and we pay out the top two places on each team for performance, and that's about half of the pot. In the other half of the pot, we play a game, and the winner gets the pot. So the nice thing is most bonuses are demotivational. If you write a bonus for 20% of people to hit, that means you're demotivating 80% of people. Mm. Gamification is about creating games where about 55 to 65% of your employee base gets paid. Now we're motivating the masses. And as the masses are motivated, culture starts to change. And you go from a, from a morgue to a frat house where people have no personality to borderline crossing some HR lines. And you're like, hey, guys, we're still at work. You really can't talk about that right now. Oh. But gamification is, is, is it's dope, bro. It's one of those things that as soon as you try it, you're like, why the hell didn't I think of this? And why have I gone my whole career without using it? We, we use it for everything now. No, that's awesome. Because after our social X call, when you spoke, um, I reached, I was talking to my team of ambassadors over at UF and I was thinking of ways to incentivize them. And something they love to do is 
they love to get bottomless mimosas every once in a while on Sundays. So I set it up so the top two people who sell the most clothing or you know help me out the most, I'll pay for their bottomless mimosas, and we'll all get together and like bond and you know get to know each other better and everything like that. And it, it worked really well. But there's a ton of other applications to gamification. How many ambassadors are there? There's eight at UF, so it's not even okay. So, so it worked good. Visual. What yeah. if you let's say you were like, hey Mike, uh, you want to go have fun this weekend? It's Saturday. It's game day. And uh, even though I'm, I'm a Miami guy, uh, we go up to Gainesville and we go to balls and we, I take a team and you take a team of four ambassadors each. And instead of giving the top two free mimosas, cause you've now demotivated 75% of your ambassadors, we put them on two separate teams and first place gets bottomless mimosas and whatever team wins a game of beer pong ends up with a $20 gift card each to, um, a place of their choosing chipotle abc liquor whatever i like that i like that putting them on teams you know split it up four and four and have them compete that way no i guess because that was actually going to lead into something else i was going to say is like are there any drawbacks or consequences to it because i was thinking about it and i'm like all right so if you only reward because i didn't realize you're setting up so it's like more than half are motivated so i was like all right if only like the top people are getting rewarded and incentivized are the other people just going to kind of quit, you know, like, or, and the just top people are going to overperform. So I was wondering how that works, but I guess you kind of, you know, explained it during. Maybe I can answer it in a little more detail. So where Chris Collins would talk about is your games have to have three components to them. You have to reward proper results. So for me, whoever sells the most cars on each team gets $500 and second place gets 250. So then we're paying out 1500 right there. Yeah, I had to double check the math real quick in my head. <laughs> um, of the additional seven, um, the additional half of the money that's left, you have a luck and skill component. And I think, not speaking for Chris, but if I had to look at my crystal ball, I think Chris probably evolved to this because the people that don't like gamification or they're somewhat suspect to gamification at first are your high performers. Saying, well, why are you rewarding others when you're not rewarding me? So you weight it in such that uh, your, your top dogs both get paid a lot. And then the half that wins the contest also gets paid an acceptable amount. But if we think of, in your situation, eight ambassadors, the first place on the team that won the bottomless mimosas and the $20 gift card would have the highest payout. Your second highest payout is the winning guy on the losing team. Mm. And then you have the other three people on the winning team that would get the $20 gift card so that five out of eight um, people won. And I don't know what that is. Uh, what is it, like 62.5% if I had to guess uh, of your team or your ambassadors are winning in this game. So now we've got less than okay. 40% that are losing. And when you have less than 40% that lose, now they want to win that much more next week to do a game. Once you get, Good results. If you continue to do this, it only takes three or four weeks of consistency to have great results. Now, here's the key that we screwed up with at Murphy Auto Group at first that Chris kind of slapped me around on a phone call once. I said, what are you doing? Uh, You got to change your games Mm -hmm. every week. You got to keep it fresh. Just because beer pong or cornhole or battleship was fun, 
you still got to reinvent the wheel and you need a new game to keep it fresh because somebody might be good at throwing darts that's bad at throwing a right, right, right. In the cup. So switch your games up. No, I really like that, man. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Also, like, how do you track the, you know, the reward systems? I'm just curious, like, because I'm going to be starting to, like, really track it. Do you just use, like, Excel sheets or do you just kind of, <laughs> like, wing it? Or I'm sure you have someone help you do it. But um, Yeah, at my level of 500 employees. Oh, yeah, you're doing it, like, strategy. yeah, yeah, you're doing it way larger scale. So, well, our, yeah, our chief strategy officer is, like, our, our goalkeeper. Um, you definitely want to track it in Excel. Uh, you want everyone to be able to see it. So if you're going to play a game a week uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, if the game's played on Saturday, you want to send out a leaderboard. Without a leaderboard, you're not going to get full results. In addition to that, when people start to play the games, they'll start to track it for you. Hey, man, I just yeah, they will. <laughs> I get my points. Oh, yeah. So the tail starts to wag the dog, and, and you, the amount of effort you have to put forth gets a, a lot easier. Remember, though, when we think of time management, we need to spend our time on the most important things first. Now, most people say, oh, so gamification goes to the bottom. No, no, it goes to the top because nothing's more important than motivating your people. If we think of productivity, if you bust your ass and work 50 hours a week and your people are only working 25 hours a week and you have eight of them, eight times 25 is 200 plus your 50 is 250 hours of productivity. What if you flip that through proper motivation and gamification where you're only working 25 hours, but your eight people are working 50, you go from 250 to 425. And that's where you go from driving a Mercedes to landing your helicopter. My man, I love it. Yeah. I'm going to start really implementing that even heavier, but since we're on the topic of productivity now, um, I know you have an incredible system that you use to organize your tasks from like most urgent you know, down to I'll get to it later sometime. Um, so you aren't wasting any time and you're really efficient. I think you called it, doesn't it have, it has four D's, right? It does. Yeah. So system. yeah. Would you explain that? My four D's first thing you got to do is create a whip list. W I P work in progress. Um, entrepreneurs by nature love to start stuff, hate to finish stuff. So with a whip list and I can always send it out uh, to you and you can get it out to everybody else. I'd love that. Later. Uh, it's really simple. It's the task. It's who owns the task. What percent complete is the task? What is the next steps you have to do in the task? Most people get stuck in paralysis by analysis. Instead of trying to figure out the whole thing, all 10 steps, just what's the next thing? Let's move that one thing forward a little bit. So when I look at my whip list, we put into four buckets. We have do it, which is stuff that only I can do. It's, it's CEO level stuff. Um, we have delegate stuff that other people can do for me yet. Now something with delegation is there's two words that people misuse in the English language. I think responsible and accountable. When we delegate things, the individual we're delegating it to is responsible to complete it, but you still have to hold yourself accountable to make sure it gets done. The next is defer. There's plenty of things that we should do just not right now. And that's okay. And then Coach Chris Ruisi, Coach Chris would say, uh, you got 20% of the things on your whip list that you should just destroy. 20% of the conversations you have, 20% of the people you talk to, 20% of the emails you read are a waste of your time. Right. Multitasking is multi-stupid or multi-dumb. <laughs> so all, all multitasking does is give you the ability to screw up more than one thing at once. Right. So if we can just eliminate 20% of the stuff that 
is on our to-do list because it's not important anyway. We've got more time to spend on stuff that can have a significant positive impact, not only on our businesses and lives, but also in our pocketbooks. All right. Have you read the the one thing by chance? I have not read the one thing. Uh, it's a it's a great book. I mean, I'm sure you incorporate a lot of the principles already, but he talks about time blocking and how multitasking is literally a complete waste of time because you're dividing your attention between two things and you're actually going back and forth between both instead of doing both at the same time. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's a really good book. But guys, uh, definitely start incorporating this sheet into your life. I have three sheets. I have one for my businesses, one for my academics, and then one for the startup company I'm working for. That way I can manage each because if I just had one really long one, it would blow my mind. But this way I'm able to organize it and still get the most out of it. Can I just say one thing here? Of course. Cool. Um, I don't know if we're on a time crunch or at all, but you really hit on something important. Most entrepreneurs that are successful entrepreneurs fail in their personal lives. It's kind of amazing. If you think of the average CEO dying of an early age, is that a lack of mobility, exercise? Is it too much stress? Is it guilt? Is, is it substance abuse? Um, Coach Chris used to tell me there's no such thing as work-life balance. It doesn't exist. Why are we chasing it? It's work-life integration. So with your three lists, when you plan out your day, you probably take stuff off of all three lists and put it on your daily planner, right? Of course. So you're integrating your three lists into your day. I personally spent the second half of my 20s, you know, one, not knowing if my dad would be here or not every day. Um, but I sacrificed my personal life. I got, I love my wife. We've been together 10 years, but so we got married when I was 30, four years ago. We had our first baby now. And, and now that you have, I have a child, man, I wish I would have integrated life uh, in business earlier because these little things are awesome, man. They look like you, act like you. Um, there's nothing about being a father that uh, makes you less of an entrepreneur. If anything, it teach, it has taught me in, in 90 days empathy sympathy. And even though I want to yell at somebody, I just choose not to now. Um, so work-life integration, not work-life balance. Well, shit, man. I actually wanted to bring that up because that's something I still struggle with. And I know like you're supposed to integrate in everything, but when you have a lot going on, especially as a college student running two businesses and a podcast and also trying to not fail out of school, it gets difficult to uh, like find time. But if you don't take personal time for yourself, I realize you end up, you know, burning out and ha being forced to take time for yourself because then you get sick or you just get way overwhelmed. So I was going to actually ask you how you're able to, you know, kind of manage that when you were younger. Yeah. Okay. So I was just like you, right? I was working the auctions, being the director of Murphy Auto Group. I was bartending at an Irish pub. Uh, I was president of my fraternity, Pi Kappa Alpha. And, uh, you know, being a pike has enough um, <laughs> social commitments yeah. for you after a while. Uh, and then I too was trying not to fail out of school. So uh, it was tough until I found another brother in my fraternity with the same goals and aspirations as I. And we created a partnership, a, a team approach, so that if Troy Bishop um, was diving too deep into business, books, partying, whatever, it was my job to pull him back and keep him balanced. Just like yin and yang keeps each other balanced. The best thing an entrepreneur can find is an entrepreneur buddy. It's kind of like scuba diving. You need your swim buddy. You need, you, you, need a, you need a bro to do this thing called life together with. Plus, then you develop a pretty good wingman.
Dude, I, I love that because I agree. And that's something I do is I have a few other guys like that who also, you know, they're in, I'm in Fido, by the way, I'm in a fraternity. Nice. So I totally get the social aspect, whether I want to be in it or not. Like I'm already too deep into that, but, um, you have to find like-minded people like that to keep you balanced, you know, quote unquote, but you know, that's, that's super important. I agree. For sure. I mean, you know, UF Pike's kind of, uh, motivated me to, to, to join Pi Cap Alpha and, and really? you guys are another fraternity like that, that, you know, when you're around like-minded individuals, like I think you got social clubs, like credit cards, you fill out an application, you get in, you probably can think of a fraternity like that or, yep. or a social group for, for our organizations like mine. And I assume yours, um, the pledging process gets you as a brother around like-minded individuals. And because of that, you're more likely to find somebody with the same drive and ambition but, but care about, you know, being a gentleman, an athlete, a leader, a scholar, or whatever your cornerstones are. So do life together, do entrepreneurship together. Um, one thing I came up with, I was 30 at my 30th birthday is about seven in the morning. I'm at space. If you ever into the nightclub space in Miami, I know um, about it. <laughs> I stand up on my couch and VIP, take a bottle of Dom. And I tell my guys 10 in 10 years. But the story most people don't know about 10 dealerships in 10 years when we only had two was I was looking around the room and I've never done drugs. I don't recommend doing drugs, although we could debate what is and is not a drug. But I see all these people on Molly and, and they're dancing and they're having the time of their lives. And I said, man, it would be great to be able to just listen to great music a little bit more and work a little bit less, what if I owned 80% of 10 dealerships instead of 10, 100% of eight? Mm. If we okay. do this thing together, um, it's like adding to the denominator while the numerator of business stays alive and well. So doing it together, being an entrepreneur isn't like being a man alone on an island. Being an entrepreneur, you can still take on partners, you can still take on employees, do it with a team and uh, you can weather any storm. You know, three um, strands of rope tied together is unbreakable. One piece of string can be easily broken. So tie your success with others. And we could have another call about alignment of goals. Oh, That's the sure. thing entrepreneurs miss is they think their goals are more important than their people's. If you can figure out how to get your people to achieve their goals, you're more likely going to accomplish yours along the way. Well, yeah, That's that was leadership at its finest. That was powerful, man. Um, I know something you you go heavy on is treating your company like a family. So I was, I mean, of course, gamification helps a little bit with that. But I was wondering how you cultivate that feeling in your company. Like, how do you make your employees feel like, all right, like this is home. Like, I want to do this thing together. Yeah, first thing uh, is think of just the biology of your face. You've got one mouth and two ears. So you should probably listen twice as much as you speak. Most managers, we think of like office space, it's like, yeah, did, can I get those TPS reports? Great, great. They just kind of walk away. The, the number one thing I do is just listen. Ask somebody how they're doing and wait for a response. So listen to your people. Um, but then a lot like fraternity life, sorority life, club life, uh, team sport life, rituals. Rituals and nicknames go a long way. Um, I've got on a Murphy Auto Group hoodie. Uh, this is the Murph hoodie. It's got um, the 2019 version. Every year, we put out our own swag. We put out our own mission statements. Um, everybody's got a nickname um, that is HR compliant. We integrate <laughs> something as simple as 
Brian Maligno's clean joke of the day into our morning huddle. So after I'm done saying, here's an opportunity for improvement, did we get double billed for that? Okay, Brian, hit me with the joke. And they're corny and they're terrible, yet everybody looks forward to them every day because it brings a little bit of humor. Um, and then lastly, you can't have a family environment with turnover. So how we write pay plans, um, we have to back into an algorithm or a mathematical equation slash formula that allows us to pay people what they need to make now, give them an incentive to do their job better, grow their business. Um, and as they grow their income and grow our business for us, their compensation as a percentage will actually go down. Too many people can't create a family environment because as soon as things start going well, they change everybody's pay plans. So eliminate greed from your life and understand that money is a tool um, and it's a scorekeeper. Obviously, we go deposit how much money we make into our bank accounts. Um, but we, it gets back to those five Ps. We need to hire the right people to execute our processes. The right people executing the processes, if you have enough of them, generate the productivity you need to keep the promise you made yourself and others about the profits you need to generate. Every time we try to overcomplicate this thing called business, because we have at Murphy Auto Group eight people uh, under my direct supervision, seven of them have master degrees, and I got my uh, you know diploma from Florida Atlantic University. Um, we have a tendency to overcomplicate things. Let's just right. back to the basics, as, as my godfather would say. It's about the basics. Pull the pin, throw the grenade. Do not. Drop the grenade and throw the pin or we're all dead. <laughs> really good at the basics. Awesome. Awesome. That was awesome, man. I like that. Um, so I'm going to be a little selfish here and kind of ask you a question that I want advice on and it hopefully it'll help some other people out there. But I'm currently in the process of expanding my team. I'm trying to find leaders at different universities to start building communities over there. Right. Okay. So right now at UF, it's, you know, I've, I have my system in place and I have my team over here, but I want to start scaling and expanding the community. So I'm curious, like what are some of the top principles for like managing and leading a successful team that I should instill in those leaders um, at those other college campuses and areas? Okay. So hiring and growing your business, it's almost like a franchise model, right? right. You want to have, have this model. So it starts with a clear vision of what your leader at each campus is supposed to do for you. So you need a job description. You need a very clear job description. Based off that job description, then you can select interview questions so that as you interview people, the answers they give you either confirm their ability to execute the job description or disqualify them from the ability to execute their job description. After that, the inconvenient truth Coach Chris would always talk about is we all hire our own future problems. So selecting the right person is only part of it. And we can mitigate the risk of hiring a new person by having a job description, asking the right questions. There are some really easy Meyer Squibb type of disc profiles that are free. Get a behavioral profile on the individual. Everybody has about 13 characteristic traits that are predominant. And there's companies that will evaluate those 13 characteristics of the individual compared to the job description. And then based on a bell curve, give you the probability of them being able to execute the job description you wrote. After that, which most managers don't do, they don't do that, but if they do, that makes them pretty good. The great ones have an onboarding template. You want to onboard everybody the same way. I hope they don't mind ta me talking about them, but two guys that are uber successful 
uh, Nick and Omar started a company called College Hunks Moving. Okay. Which I think is they're saying um, they've got hundreds of franchisees. They're making a ton of money. Um, they both went to Miami, won a ten thousand dollar business plan, and they bought a truck and started moving stuff. Their their big motto um, is is just that, right? It, it gets back to just hammering home the basics and then franchising it out through an onboarding process. Every time they bring in a franchisee, um, they did like a MTV crib spoof that anyone can Google. Um, it's pretty educational, but they have like a library. They call it the right brain. I think if I don't screw it up and they put their franchisees through a onboarding process, like an e-learning template that explains to them how to meet and exceed not only the mission statement, but the vision and values of their organization. Those guys are really smart, really powerful, and and I think Omar would make a great uh, guest. Wow, yeah, man, I I would have to definitely develop that. I have my own system, which which is what I'd be mentoring and teaching them. But I need to get that like written out clearly. I did an endorsement. I did an endorsement on on Coach Chris Ruisi's book called "Let Me Draw You a Picture," and um, he gives a lot of blueprints on how to uh, create your um, selection, hiring, onboarding, evaluation model. It's almost a fill in the blanks that works really well. Um, his website, even though he's passed away, is still active. And uh, his whole family is incredible. His son is, uh, he's got three sons. One son's a fighter pilot in the Navy that graduated from Top Gun. Uh, the other is a doctor. The other is a successful businessman. His website's thecoachesone.com. Uh, if you go and Google Chris Ruisi, those books will help you install that. I mean, think about it. We all hire our own future problems. Yeah. And another thing Coach Chris would always tell me is, Mike, maybe the student hasn't learned because the teacher hasn't taught. And that's really what he meant by his onboarding vision is we've, we've got to um, put people in positions to be successful. I think that's what the Belichick's and, and Nick Satan's Sabins of the world do. Sorry, Freudian slip there. <laughs> the Nick Satan's. That's, that's, that's good, cool. right? <laughs> so I'm going to start going into a few other like entrepreneurial questions uh, just because we've already been talking for like 45 minutes. But yeah, I'm curious, something that bothered me when I was you know, first getting started and I started experiencing some success was imposter syndrome. Have you ever experienced that? Maybe when you were younger and you were making good money and you're like, do I like, am I really deserving of this? I don't know if that's something you've ever experienced or felt. Um, or if you just stepped right into it like a boss. <laughs> yeah, no, I think everybody struggles with it to a certain extent. Um, second generation car guy, you're just supposed to fail. So the stigmatism is that you're a drug addict, that you're a pompous ass, um, and that you're going to run daddy's company in the ground. So I've always tried to find out what everyone was doing and do the opposite. You know, I got a bachelor's in marketing, which doesn't mean a whole lot. But one of the things it taught me was that um, figure out what other people are doing and do the opposite of it. And that's how you stand out. Mm. And when you stand out, people realize you're different and they'll take a look at you. Then you better have a good why by here and why by now to keep their attention. So uh, when I became CEO, um, I lost the suit. Um, you know, most of my guys, I was at Miracle Nissan in Augusta, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I had uh, some jeans uh, some true religion jeans, a white tee and just a blazer on. 
And uh, I donated 16 inches of my hair when uh, October 9th. Long Boy, hair. Boy, 16 inches of hair. How yeah. much do you have, man? Jeez. Um, but I've, as a CEO, and especially as a guy who's 34, now 35, in an industry where everyone else is in their late 60s and 70s, I was going to stand out anyway. So I just owned it. So, you know, wear the diamond necklace, wear the Rolex, put T-shirts and a jeans on tell, and just let everybody stand out. Um, excuse me, stand out to everybody and just own it. Be yourself, be different. Our slogan is even we're different. Let us prove it. Um, the worst thing you can be is like everyone else. Um, how do you stand out? Especially as young entrepreneurs are trying to start up. Uh, if I see four people in my office, all with the same Hugo boss suit on, then right. you're just like them. But if you come in and looking well, fresh jeans that are pressed, a nice t-shirt, maybe uh, a bright blue blazer, like our new round of commercials, I'm going to be like, why is that guy different? I'm probably going to interview him first, just out of curiosity alone. Right. And it's all about, I'm sure, the confidence and how you, you, know, you hold yourself. I'm sure that makes a big difference, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's what team sports helps you learn. If you grew up an athlete and you were able to make it to high school athletics and then college athletics, um, you know you're a little bit better than the average person, not because you're born that way, but because you're willing to make a sacrifice the average person isn't willing to make. You're willing to work the hours are not the other people aren't willing to work. You're willing to sacrifice stuff the other people aren't willing to sacrifice. And because of that, you're better than everyone else. All men were born and created equal, but that doesn't mean we are now. Right. And imposter syndrome or trying to fake it till you make it or in my business, everybody wants to be like Grant Cardone and I got nothing against Grant, great guy. He's also working on that uh, morning ritual uh, document for Yahoo Finance. But why not just be the best Mike Murphy you can be? Hell yeah. Big facts. Uh, what's uh, the number one piece of advice you'd give someone my age in college as an entrepreneur starting up? I'm curious. If you, because I know you weren't, I mean, you weren't really an entrepreneur while you're in college, were you? Yeah, I started multiple uh, businesses in college. Okay. So I started a credit card processing company in college so that. Um, the three tenths of a percent on every transaction at the dealerships instead of going to somebody else went to me. Um, I'm starting two more companies this year. I've started 10 now. Uh, and, so you, you've uh, been in the game for a long, long time, the entrepreneurship. Yeah, it was just like bartending. I didn't bartend for the money. I just couldn't believe that I could go out, get drunk with my friends, and they give me their money and I pour the drinks. <laughs> so true, so true. It's such a cool concept. I'm like, wait a minute. If I go to the wishing well and I pour the drinks, I still get shots, but I leave with more money, money than I got there with. I think I'm in on that model. What a novel concept. Right? Um, so what was your question again? What's uh, a big piece of advice you'd give to a college entrepreneur? Yeah. Um, I think I got to you know, plagiarize that too. You know, Not much of what I said is my own. Most of it I've stolen from those five people and my dad that I've talked about. Um, but Coach Chris would say clarity. Clarity. You want to be an entrepreneur? Great. I mean, that's kind of like wanting a six-pack of abs. Fantastic. Everybody does. What are you willing to do to get them? What are they going to look like once you have them? So you have to have a vision, and you have to refine it and refine it and refine it. You know, what's the difference between Skull Vodka and Grey Goose? What's the difference? How many distilled? They distilled or filtered. Right, exactly. So they're, they're purifying it. They're purifying it. They're purifying it. And the pure, pure, the good, good, uh, costs more money because it's better than everything else because there's less of it available. 
That's entrepreneurship. The clearer you are in your vision, the higher the probability of success that you can gain. Einstein once said to truly know something, you must take a complex theory and explain it simply. So owning your own business is pretty complex. But for me, I reduced it to, you know, my goal is to sell cars in sufficient volume and gross so that I help myself and my employees not only meet our personal but our professional goals in life while earning repeat and referral business and staying legal compliant. That's what it's like to be a CEO of 13 companies. It's, if you can't explain who you are, what you do that simply, then you don't understand it enough yet. So for you and your model, just when the time you think you got it, don't, and I think this is an extreme ownership, uh, don't be afraid to blow something up to make it better. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. There's definitely something in there about that. The whole chapter, if I remember. Yeah. All right. So something else I'm really curious about is what would you say the most, the, I'm sorry, the three most important habits you formed in your life are and how they contributed to where you are now, habit-wise? Um, so don't try to move 100 things a foot. Try to move one thing a mile. So instead of making sure you're really busy all day, make sure you're really productive all day. Limit your day to what is no more than three goals that you have for yourself. So goal setting, specifically no more than three daily, is huge. The second one is that morning routine. You've got a morning ritual. I've got a morning ritual. You'd be surprised what percent of the population does not. You know, 3% of the population are, are business owners. 97% work for the 3%. I bet only 3 to 4% of the population have a true morning ritual. Um, and then the third thing, I know it sounds cliche, um, but don't ever be the smartest person in the room. Of course. Surround yourself with better people. You know, I'm a pretty, pretty darn good golfer. So when <laughs> I play with guys on the PGA Tour in pro-ams, they make me better. Yes, it costs money to play in pro-ams, but that makes me better. If I'm getting back into martial arts, I'm not going to go train with a, a guy with a yellow or orange belt that I'm just going to beat up. I want to cha- train with somebody that's going to beat me up. It gets back to that idea of buds and and extreme ownership. They talked about circuses and being a sugar cookie. Whoever comes in last place in the exercise has to do the exercise again. Right. But then all of a sudden, you're not in last place anymore. So being able to learn and grow, the only way you can do that is with people better than you. That's why I spent so much time with my father. The guy knows so much about everything, including business, but just life in general, that just soak it up. Um, The worst thing you can be is the smartest man in the room. And without getting into politics, let's just say there's been certain people, I'm not referencing this administration or the administration before it, but just in general, you don't want the, the president of your country to be the smartest guy in his cabinet. Hell no, you want the people surrounding him to be. <laughs> um, one of the biggest compliments you could get is to be the delegator in chief. You know, uh, they said that about Ronald Reagan. I think Obama did a good job about that. So you've got a Republican, you've got a Democrat so that I can only piss off 10% of our viewers, but both people are very good about having smart people around them, right? You had Reagan, you had Obama that both um, knew their limitations and built people around them that had strengths. If we think of John Bolton, right? He served Trump and, and uh, Obama. That guy is a little bit of a war hawk, but very, very, very intelligent. We think of Mathis and uh, Mattis, and we think of some of these generals that, um, that, our, our commanders and chiefs surround themselves with, they're overly successful people. 
Don't ever be the smartest person in the room. If you look up and you're in the room and you're the smartest person in the room, your company's in trouble. I've had that happen a few times in my life where I walk into a dealership and I'm like, oh no, I can invest <laughs> better than everybody. I can sell better than everybody. I can get someone finance better than everybody. We're wow. a special type of screwed up. Wow. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really, really big one. And once I started understanding that concept, my life started leveling up a lot faster and you can do that with every single aspect of your life. Um, yeah. if you have a personal trainer that's out of shape, probably yeah, not going to do a very good job. Yeah, that's what's scary, man. I was working at a, a gym sophomore year and I was looking around and like the personal trainers, some of them are in worse shape than their clients. And I was like, I don't even know how you have clients. Yeah, do what I say, not what I do. That's how most professors yeah. are great. Right? Those that can't do teach. Dude, you wouldn't believe this is a tangent, but I've been in, so my minor's in innovation, which is entrepreneurship, and three of the teachers of the classes, none of them have owned businesses. I finally am in a course now where the professor sold a business for a lot of money. He actually has real life experience, but the other ones are just reading out of a textbook. I'm like, how am I supposed to take what you're saying like, seriously if you haven't lived it? You know, And it's, it's kind of scary. You know, that's what's something that I was really grateful for. U.S. a great school. Um, FAU, College of Business, uh, if you didn't have a PhD, work experience could substitute. And I ended up at a place that was, you know, $180 a credit hour, but you'd have Xerox, IBMs, you'd have these retirees that moved to Boca Raton, and then you can only take so many walks with a wife before you decide to do something else with your life. Right. Those people taught me so much. Shout out to Professor Rivera if he ever listens. Just an angry Cuban that uh, literally told me that. I can only take so many walks with a wife, so I thought I'd teach you people instead. No, that's amazing. That's how my professor is right now. He takes, it's a small class. He takes us all out to dinner and networks with us after. It's amazing. It's the best class I've ever taken. And it only took me four years to find it. <laughs> but um, all right, we got to start ra wrapping this up. It's been almost an hour now. And I really appreciate all the time you've given and all the advice and value. Um, two more questions. And then I have this thing called a lightning round. I'll ask you five real quick questions and we'll yeah. be good. Uh, one of them is if you were to go back in time, what is the number one skill you would focus on learning? Putting all your effort into learning. Like, I mean, obviously you're going to learn a bunch of skills, but the most important one for entrepreneurship. Yeah. For entrepreneurship accounting. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's good to know debits and credits <laughs> to really be a student of your balance sheet. Mm. Okay. Um, you can, you can outsource your accounting but then you're relying on somebody else to tell you if your company is profitable, successful, and has enough cash to pay the IRS or not. Okay. What about a personal development skill, maybe? Like working on yourself? Um, I would have learned to meditate at a much young, uh, younger age. I was angry for a lot of my life because I always had a chip on my shoulder as an owner's son. Everybody wanted me to fail, so I was going to prove people wrong. Um, and only once I really learned to meditate and start asking myself what makes myself happy did I become more locked in, more dialed in on my own success for my own reasons instead of other people's reasons. Very cool. I was reading a book called Relentless by Tim Grover, and he mm -hmm. talks about channeling your dark energy. Um, would you say kind of like that chip on your shoulder is use that as a big motivation? Like how did you channel that anger kind of, you know? Um, a lot of positive self-talk. I okay. mean, truly, people used to give me the most ridiculous jobs. My first week, I cleaned floor mats for used cars. 
And then when I was done, I saw all the cars on a truck going to the auction. And I realized there is no point of me cleaning floor mats for a used car that's going to the auction because nobody's going to open the door and be like, well, I was going to give two grand for this car, but seeing how the floor mats are so clean, it's now worth 2100 So I used to go in the, in the, in the bathroom and I'd stare at myself and uh, I would just relate it back to, to my godfather's stories of buds. Basic underwater demolition, you know, and survival training, the 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 selection process of the Navy SEALs. Um, embrace the suck. So I would um I would take all of that and use it as motivation. Um that and the number eleven. You you work out a lot. I, I, I stay in pretty good shape. Um if an exercise says do three sets of ten, just do eleven. And that eleventh one is for everyone that says you couldn't do the first ten. Boom. I like that. All right. Two more questions and we're good. Um, I'm curious what your personal definition of success is. Like what does success mean to you? Success is nothing more than creating a vision. When you have a vision, establishing an implementation and optimization plan and achieving it, it's setting goals and achieving it, but goals and tasks are two different things. Mm -hmm. A goal needs to be measurable. It needs to be, well, it needs to be obtainable, but it needs to be measurable. It needs to be specific. And it needs to produce a desired outcome that betters your life. Okay. I got Myers, it. Right? I love to drink Guinness. A goal would be to chug a pint of Guinness in two seconds. But that's really not a positive goal because there's nothing good that comes from it in the long term. It might be a really fun <laughs> evening. But that's about it. Oh, man. I love how down to earth you are, man. <laughs> You know, you're just super relatable, especially because I was in a fraternity. So uh, I got you. We're on the same wavelength here. Yeah. Uh, Some of the best best decisions you can make in college is, is to join a fraternity. Um, you'll probably have to edit this part out. But a wise man said to me once, he goes, you know, you, you, people join frats to have fun. Uh, people join fraternities to better themselves while having fun. And you don't call your country a cunt, so don't call my fraternity a frat yeah i've heard that one i've heard that one honestly just the networking is is worth it is incredible i started a whole moving business during the summers just from moving all greek life like mm -hmm. just the connections i don't think i would have been able to build my brand to where it is at uf without being in a fraternity like just i don't know it's been amazing it's um, so much more than paying for your friends it, it really, it's about surrounding like-minded individuals and just pounding the rock together yeah i actually hate when people say that because people who aren't in fraternities don't understand and then they're like oh yeah they're just paying for their friends you know partying every day it's a lot it's a lot more than that to be honest wow uh, i can give you so many stories where vice president goldman sachs down here i'm playing golf with and um i got a white polo on and it's hot out because it's florida and i'm sweating through it and all of a sudden he sees five five k on my back and he loses his mind throws his putter up in the air he tosses me the grip and i'm like get out of here well who do you think manages my money now um awesome. it's mutually beneficial because i think i got a better rate um than average uh and he gets to handle some m's so it, it's it's mutually beneficial and i got like 40 or 50 more examples of that where just the power of a grip it, it's it's special it really is man all right so one question i ask every guest who comes on is you know, what words of advice or encouragement would you give to someone who has massive goals or ambitions, but, you know, maybe they're afraid to put themselves out there and take action, whether, you know, it could be because their parents, like, 
they don't believe in them. They're afraid of failure or social rejection or whatever it is, man. Like what advice would you give to those guys to just say, screw it and, you know, go out, take action, make some shit happen. Yeah. Great, great question. I'm glad you asked it. The big thing I, I believe is life entrepreneurship, being successful. Um, it's a lot like a self-help book. Once you buy the book, you're halfway towards success. When you make up your mind that you're going to be successful at whatever it is, a diet, a workout, making a team, earning your letters, earning your degree, um, you're halfway there. So my dad always tells me, if you think you can or you think you cannot, you're right. So the hardest part of convincing yourself to do something is the self-doubt. George, uh, John Wayne also said that courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway, just do it, man. Nike created an empire on the saying, don't wait for the perfect time. Don't wait for all the reasons why there will always be reasons why you can't do something. Just acknowledge it. And then use that as a dark matter to motivate yourself past it. it. It's a lot like gambling. If you bet a little, you'll win a little. I'd rather go all in and bet on myself. So if you're confident, you believe in yourself, bet on yourself, and go all in. There you know you why go. I'm not going to fail in, in, in my dealerships? Why? Because I can't afford to. I don't have a <laughs> backup plan. More people die tightrope walking with a safety net than without one. Because yeah. when you have a safety net, you actually start, even if it's just 1% in your brain, you start to think failing, falling is an option. And they do. They wow. fall, and they hit the net, then they bounce out of the net, and they fall to their deaths. That's actually so true. That's so true. Yeah. I mean, how does an eagle learn to fly, right? It gets pushed out of the nest. Exactly. All right. So you ready for the lightning round? Five yeah, quick questions, good. whatever top of your head. Sure. All right. So first one, list three ways to use a pen other than to write with. Uh, okay. You can um, unlock many items with a pen. Uh I've used two pens as chopsticks when I forget to get chopsticks for sushi <laughs> and it works really well. You'd be surprised. And, and the third thing you can do with a pen is stress relief. Just click it repeatedly. All right. I'm glad you didn't say like stab someone. Cause I had someone say that one <laughs> in the neck. You could use as a defense weapon though. If you need I mean, to. Jason Bourne did stab that dude in the hand with that Bic pen. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I mean, all is fair. Uh, if you, if you're getting jumped and your life's on the line, uh, fight dirty and win. Jason Bourne's a beast. All right. What's the last kind thing you've done for someone? Oh, man. Um, I mean, I ordered lunch for everybody today, but um, this month for Murphy Auto Group is Random Acts of Kindness Month. So we are doing random acts on social media all day, every day. Uh, Unfortunately, one of my technicians, his wife got diagnosed with breast cancer again, got a little bit back on his bills, was distracted, and then the engine went out on his car. So I bought him a new engine and everyone at Bob Richards Toyota installed it and gave it to Tracy. Shout out to Tracy. Um, we gave a car away to a detailer who's been taking a lift to work for two years. Um, kindness should be done daily. Uh, you'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearst. You can't take this stuff with you. So why not better society now? And kindness should, uh, acts of kindness should be done because it's the right thing to do. But also, once you do it, feel free to put it on social media and challenge others. Uh, most people look at social media at what they don't have, what they can't be, and they get depressed. 
I'd love to see our generation post all the good things we do for others. Um, every day I try to do a random act of kindness. Uh, and it's part of our operating and advertising model as we've given away hundreds of thousands of dollars just last year. It's a random act of kindness month this month. Next month is black history month where we'll focus on a historical black college in, in both markets. March is military appreciation month. We try to just do as much kindness wow. as possible. Um, I think, you know, the universe, God, our creator, whatever you're comfortable with, uh, wants us to be abundantly successful. There needs to be a purpose-driven life and an abundance. But the only way to really be abundantly successful, in my mind, is, is to give it away. Give away your love, your respect, your attention, your money, and it'll come back to you, all those things. Wow. That was the longest lightning round question ever, but I really like that. Right. Hey, and you can count this as a random act of kindness. You spent over an hour and 10 minutes with me, chatting it up, bringing value to my audience. So, again, I really appreciate that, man. Ready for the next one? Yeah. All right, stranded on an island, can only have one thing with you. It could be a thing or a person. What would it be? Uh, a thing or a person. So I think it would it would have to definitely um, be a multi-purpose tool. I've watched enough Survivor, man, that those things are pretty handy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I had someone say uh, their dog once, and I was like, what, are you going to eat your dog when you're starving, dude? Can I take a mulligan? <laughs> yeah. Bear grills. I take bear grills. <laughs> bear grills. Yeah, man. That's what I was saying. Like, just hire, get someone else. He knows exactly <laughs> what to do. You'd end up building a strip mall. You'd have a boat with solar powered and be able to get off the island and write a book about it. All right. The one belief that took you the longest to put into practice. You are what you eat. Okay. How do you know if you've lived a good life? By the people that attend your funeral. All right. Well, that's pretty much what I got for you, my man. Uh, for everyone listening, where can they find you on social media and interact with you more? Yeah, absolutely. So Facebook uh, at Real M Murphy because somebody stole my Instagram, which at Instagram is at Real Mike Murphy. Uh, some of my automotive training stuff is available at MurphyAutomotiveSalesTraining.com. Uh, the dealerships are all on the MurphyAdvantage.com. And the number one area is still Instagram. I love the gram. I can't get enough of it. Um, TikTok coming soon. Uh, I've got enough employees I can dance for you guys as entertainment. <laughs> Hell yeah, guys. Go follow this man. He has a ton of value to provide you and just an all-around awesome dude. So again, I've said this 50 times, but thank you for coming on and I really appreciate it. That's my pleasure, man. I got a lot out of this and, and I learned a few things. So you gave me a few books to read and I'm humbled to be a guest. Appreciate you. Awesome. And that's a wrap, guys. All right, cheers. That's it for today's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed it and were able to take away some tremendous value from it. Now, I want to remind you that knowledge is only power if you make the effort to actually take action and implement it into your daily life. I can assure you, if you just listen to the podcast, take zero notes and don't make an effort to take the practical tools we provide you and put it into daily practice, 90% of the info will be out the window within a week guaranteed it's just how it works so do me a favor and review your notes and see how you can implement what you just learned from the podcast it will help you tremendously so as a bonus every week i'll be picking one person on instagram who screenshots the podcast and tags at real underscore driven to give away one piece of rd merch of your choosing hats shirts whatever you guys like 
So with that being said, I hope you all have a kick-ass day, and I'll see you next time.